your B team and reserves push New York City FC to the limit. It's that's so MLS. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. <laughs> North American Soccer Podcast with myself, Andrew Bates and Nick Thornton. Hello, welcome back, everyone. Good to good to be here. Good to have you here, Nick. We have a final. We have a final. We finally have a final, and we finally know who's going to be in that final. The conference finals played over the last week. Um, and a little bit of everything in these two games. Um, I honestly forget what we even predicted for these, and I'm not sure it really matters, because uh, I would say two quite different games, um, and two sort of different... Uh, expected outcomes or maybe not expected outcomes but different the games unfolded differently than maybe anticipated that's what i'm trying to say i think that that uh that can be fair i think that that with um we could we could sort of start with the the first one between portland and salt lake because there are you know they're all actually no one thing i want to say off the top is that obviously i think the the thing that was overshadowing the um, New York City Philadelphia game are, are the fact that first eleven and then I think the final count was nine players were put in COVID control. Yeah. So I think this has made me think of something that was on like the tip of my tongue a little bit throughout the playoffs where when when you talk about compressed schedule and all the, the issues that have continued to persist during the pandemic, I, I was wondering is this still is 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 the fact that some of these big teams have that you would expect to have kept it together gone out like are we still in the chill soccer time and and that was something that was on my mind a little bit but I I I never quite got to voicing it and I think that this before we talk about either game this um really hammers through the fact that like we're still kind of playing with house money when it comes to the playoffs, it's, this is, this is, there are games being played, but the idea of continuing to play that game after whatever happened, happened, um, shows that there are still significant, um, you know, competition balance issues that we are just accepting Yeah, as we, as we continue. That's, that's happened throughout the season and, and, um, there is no competition you know, explanation as to why Philadelphia is not an MLS Cup. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um, and I I feel like you know when we get to the game, I think we'll talk a little bit about Jim Curtin and his his comments um, before and after the game. And and I think judging from that, I would say Jim Curtin thinks it's still chill soccer times. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> not that the loss didn't hurt, but we'll get there. But yeah, I, I kind of think we should start with this Portland RSL game, which if I'm recalling correctly, I think you and I sort of landed on the side of probably Portland wins it at home. But of course, we're not counting RSL out. But we expected, I think, a bit more of a, a competition in this one and a spicy affair um, and on, although there was a sending off, and it, I, it was a scrappy match at times, were you kind of surprised at at this the outcome of this one, or or the way that things played out here? I know that it can be a little bit of a spoil sport attitude, but I was not cheering for um, RSL as an underdog team at this point because, frankly, they had established themselves as the heels in these situations. I, 
I, I, I couldn't quite get over the idea that they, uh, that it's not that it's sort of like an underdog scenario why they're here. They're here because a handball wasn't called. So I had, I didn't have that sort of um, mirth to me to see them, you know, want to go through. And, uh, but I did expected kind of as I expected last week that, that, you know, as much as I thought, you know, sporting Kansas city could have, uh, put them away. I thought, well, they have that. They have that uh, that X factor that might allow them to bring something extra to the table. That had happened in the in the conference semifinals. Yeah, it uh, was nowhere to be found in the conference final. Portland um, dealt with them pretty well. I wouldn't say that they were toothless. No, there was no, no, no. there were some some strong chances, and, and there was that one sort of like redirected save save from Steve Clark, where it's yeah. like. <laughs> who knows how he was able to pull that save out of the out of the old locker yeah um no i i, I thought that rsl gave an a certainly an account for themselves but to me i just saw a team that had kind of like really drained the tank to get to that point and yeah. also are a team that really will uh punish you for your errors and Portland really didn't make a lot of errors. They and they if anything, they really kicked off the game the way RSL needed to with this strong start because 5 minutes in and I, I mean I'm not even sure Mora is really knows much about scoring this goal as he's just running into the space because he doesn't even really kick the ball so much as just run at it. Um but it's a really poor clearance from Herrera that leads to this goal 5 minutes in and it's just one of those things where you're like, well, <laughs> I mean, it seems obvious, but in terms of tactics for this game, you have to think part of the approach is not going down a goal to Portland in the first five minutes in Portland. <laughs> That's not how you drew it up. And so I, I felt like that really obviously put RSL on the back foot. But outside of a few chances in the first half, you know, I I really felt like it was all Portland in the first half and through much of the game. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things that we continue to talk about is do not let these this team go late. You know, even even though um, Sporting Kansas City were able to get a, a, a goal on the board first, mm-hmm. that didn't that didn't save them because they still conceded. Portland was able to not Portland was able to. One score early, um, to score twice, which yeah. from from the from the first from decision day, it was not something that had been done um, to RSL, um, and I think that that put them in a comfortable situation, even if they hadn't had somebody get sent off after. Mm-hmm. And and that's just something you you wonder if you know does one of those chances if one of those chances for RSL go go in when it's um, when they're still only down a goal does that change the um, does that change the makeup of this maybe but I but it didn't happen and, and I think that that Portland were able to um, contain the threat that they provided. Well, I think we've talked about this with RSL in previous seasons and, and maybe a little bit this season and a number of other teams like this too, that 
if you winning games and playing your best soccer is dependent on everything working out perfectly, then, you know, you might have some success. And I feel like RSL is a great example of that. And and I do believe they have a system. Like, RSL isn't just a, a Cinderella story. This isn't just a fluke. I think RSL is coached well and set up really well and organized in a way that helps them get results that maybe surprise people. Um, they're not just a, an out-and-out underdog. Like, this isn't the earthquakes in the playoffs, you know? <laughs> RSL mm. has, a, has a clear game plan for games. Um, I, I guess... I guess ultimately my point is, is just that I feel like RSL, on their day, when everything comes off perfectly, look like they can beat anyone. But outside of that, they look like a team that is okay but also really vulnerable and 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 sometimes prone to making mistakes and you know the the goal from Moreno that is just this incredible long distance curling effort that comes off the bar and then off Ochoa's back it's the kind of goal where you go well it doesn't really <laughs> matter who the goalkeeper is or what the teams are if a player decides to score then they're going to score but it also comes from a, you know a kind of unchallenged run through midfield and RSL has been guilty of this is is that they're not aggressive enough in their their tracking at times and or late to step up and that cost them goals um i was i was a little bit surprised i thought RSL might have a little bit more to account for themselves but i, I think what we had seen is the strategy was kind of hold on and hang on in the game for 60 minutes and then we'll make the changes, bring on Justin Merrim, etc. And then we're going to really turn the screw and try to go for it. And as you said, like you just, you can't do that against Portland. If you're going to, if you're going to try to beat Portland, a team that very consistently scores two goals or more, you've got to get, you've got to get your chance, get something out of the first half and, and not give it all, give yourself the hill to climb in the second half. And, Really, I felt like Portland's poor finishing at times really uh, softened their impact because this could have been four nil. That's true. That's true. I think that one of the things I was looking at, looking back at, was the fact that you know before this this run that went well um, for for RSL that began with Decision Day, I had said that this was going to go. I thought that that RSL was going to crash out and not make the playoffs. Because they had lost four one to four three to San Jose and three one to Portland uh, on November third at home in Providence Park, mm-hmm. and the if you look at the or actually no that was at Rio Tinto, but if you look at what happened there, it was like that was a scenario where Portland scored early, scored a lot, and Aaron Herrera made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it really didn't feel like there was too much different on offer. And that's you know, kind of just that. the nature of MLS and particularly the Western Conference as well, is that, to, to quote an old friend, it's fine lines sometimes between, um, <laughs> you know, being a team that's in playoff contention and being a team that's in the bottom three, that there's so little space between all the clubs and and Portland's a perfect example of that that they always seem to have this shaky mid-season where they you know when you think about the result against Sporting Kansas City and and just how they've been able to come back from that um but that being said like that's just kind of the nature of MLS and the Western Conference really 
And what we've seen in the last couple of years, too, is that the teams that in the West that actually make it through usually aren't necessarily the top-seeded team, unless you're Seattle, which is always the exception to the rule. <laughs> so you have Portland going through. The the seventh consecutive year that a one one of the Cascadia teams is the MLS uh, is the Western Conference representative in MLS Cup. <laughs> that stat is so kind to the Whitecaps, which only really represents <laughs> one of those times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's the same way. Um, it's the same way that Bruce Arena and I have won three MLS Cups. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you get the right groupings, then... <laughs> Me and Zlatan Ibrahimovic have scored a lot of goals together. <laughs> um, the That takes us, I guess, to the... Unless you have other uh, discussions to have on the Western Conference. No, admittedly, I was kind of sitting here thinking about it. And, and before we hopped on the air, I rewatched the highlights just to be like, am I missing something from this one? But, you know, Herrera gets his second yellow in the 79th minute. I think it's a pretty open and shut mandatory second yellow. I guess that my only question really was about, you know, if when we do get to discussing the final, I have questions about Diego Valeri and maybe a little bit about Sebastian Blanco and really just more about how will they be utilized and how will that matter. But let's save that till we talk about the final, because in order to talk about the final, we need to talk about the East. Oh, I have one more. I do have oh. one more thing here. Uh, just I thought that I thought that that um, the goalkeeper. David Ochoa did great. I was looking at my... I, there was this moment beforehand. Sometimes this commentary can be so wild. And and, and Alexi Lawless is going on this rant in the preseason where he's like, you know, I thought David Ochoa was a good goalkeeper, not a great goalkeeper. You know who's a great goalkeeper? Nick Romano. You, sir, are no Nick Romano. And I'm just sitting here thinking, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> that is, I think, a common experience that people have whenever Alexi Lalas is being injured. I really just, like, there's so much that I can forgive, and, and I, I don't really care, ultimately, who these people are that are doing the intros to the show. But can we not find, like, it's insulting to people that speak in sentences everywhere that Alexi Lalas is still being given airtime. <laughs> Because like, that's every time he talks, I'm just, he's always yelling it. And he's either yelling something that's completely obvious and just known and true and yelling at you like there's this massive group of people that don't also believe that thing to be true. Or it's just the most out there, like, what are you talking about? You were comparing a retired MLS keeper who also played for RSL with a young keeper who also plays RSL and you're saying the younger keeper isn't as good okay yeah. what's your and just, like you said what's your point there <laughs> like, but just before that he was he was praising him for playing the heel saying that he could appreciate a player like that so it's 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 all over the place I'd yeah uh, but anyways that was the other thing that I had noted that I wanted to bring up anyways the east the east <laughs> yeah Hey, hey, I'm always, always here for... I hold, purposely hold back on Alexi Lawless rants, so I'm here for it. <laughs> New York City, Philadelphia, you and I were excited about this game. We thought this one was going to be pretty wild. And then, as you said off the top, 
before anything even happens, this game seemingly was kind of decided. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that the broadcasters did a did their level best to hype it up and say, oh, I thought it was a good game. And it was exciting to watch. I'm not necessarily... I never want to... Um, to damn a team before they've started. You know, like... The beautiful thing about soccer is that anything can happen once teams have stepped on the pitch and in the same way that like like I I made that point in the in the open of the episode is that I don't think that those two teams were that far apart and there were many of the key players for, for Philadelphia were, were taking part in it. But the fact is is that they were staring down I want to say on Friday, they were staring down the, the notion that they were going to have the, that um, 11 players were in the, the least COVID control. I believe the final count was nine, and eventually they made six changes to the starting 11, including the goalkeeper. Yeah. Which is, like, Which, not, not ideal heading in. I guess the question is, is that, that MLS is so locked into these whatever time that they can get on national television and, and 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 just the there's not a lot of room to maneuver with scheduling but I mean you would think that you would want to have the best possible version of both teams going into this but but ultimately there have been you know they're not the only sports league to work this way to just say you know tough you if you if you can play, if you've got 11 people, we're going to go. Tottenham Wren in uh, uh, the Europe, Europa Conference League just got postponed because Spurs didn't have 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but from the A-list. But it's like, I, I just wonder at what point, you know, if you're going to fine a team for missing players, for, for holding back players from the All-Star game, mm-hmm. and then at the same time a team is... Because... You know they want to present present the best product, and then in the playoffs, the team is going to say, "Hey, uh, we have COVID. <laughs> Can we do something about this?" And tell them, "No, you you've got to put on um, you've got to put on teenagers and guys who've played two games in the last two years." Yeah, it's like but, what's but... the what's the purpose for that? And I agree. But it does feel like, from everything that Jim Curtin said before this game, that he was well aware that this would be the case. Like, there was no element of his comments that seemed like he felt like it was unfair. I think he addressed the reality of it, and he sort of made a comment about, like, well, the players are healthy. Like, that's hard. Like, they're, they've tested positive, but they're healthy. Which is, like, kind of beside the point. Um... But I, I, I think that that it's just true of the whole season, as you said. I mean, like, to, to claim that this is, has been a competitive season hasn't been. <laughs> like, the schedule is insane. Clubs playing each other five times and playing other teams in the same conference once or not at all. Like, that's completely insane. I think we're all just living in this suspended reality where we just 
it's kind of like the social contract now is we just don't talk about the fact that it's all completely pointless. We're just so happy to have any form of entertainment. (laughs) We talk about it as if it is actually competitive. And that's not to take anything away from what everyone's trying to do here and the immense sacrifices made by people so that we can be entertained. It's just that, like, let's, as you say, like, call it what it is. However, my counterpoint to this is that Jim Curtin just kind of goes all in on his team, as is his job to do. Yeah. He sort of fires them up and, you know, he sort of throws shade at City a little bit and just goes, like, we'll go for it. Like, we've we've trained for this. These guys know and are ready to step in. And, you know, I know in the broadcast they're talking about Aurelio Collin only having played two games in the last two years, or if it was even that many. I'm seeing and, now that it was zero since 2019. Right. But I'm going, but Aurelia Collin also was a defender of the year, like not that long ago, <laughs> um, and is an incredibly experienced MLS defender. So I'm going like, if that's your like guy in re- your reserves that you have to quote unquote, like just pull off the bench, I'm going, that's a pretty good thing to have in your pocket. I mean, no spring chicken. I'm not saying he's in his prime, but... Uh, I think that what we saw is that really on game day, what Philadelphia's defense was massively depleted, but then you had the experience of Colin come in, but Philadelphia had, you know, most of their starting attacking players in the mix. So it was kind of a weird half and half thing that even before kickoff, it felt like, okay, well, like this is not a bad union side. And you know, City, and I don't think they City still like have that. to. City still have to win. Yeah, and 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 I think that Jim Curtin fired up his team definitely, but I don't think he was lying in saying that we have a plan, we have a system, the players know their roles. It kind of looked like it. I thought overall Philadelphia played a, a really good game and made New York look really uncomfortable at times. And they got they 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 took the lead, which the the at the atmosphere in there when they took the lead was wild. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that in, it takes some time, because I believe it's around the 63rd minute, um, Shabilko's running in, and I think he creates the goal, but he doesn't actually touch the ball in the end, I don't think. Um, I think it was eventually credited to Callens, but uh, yeah, nobody in that stadium cared whatsoever. Uh, that was uh, a pretty exciting. However... The the lead was That's not Gazdag. It's Gazdag that sends the ball forward that that Callens then nudges into the goal, right? And Shabilko's nearby while all that's happening. Mm. Um, close enough that you would if you if you were looking at it from a far distance, you would think that Shabilko scored it. Yeah. Um, he's sort of like the sweeper in curling. Like he's just got. He's just there to create a path for it to go. It's helpful. Um, however. This only lasts for two minutes because Maxi Morales decides he's not having it and scores less than two minutes later. Uh, great it, response from New York. It was you great. You got to give that. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like they had a really poor first half. They just seemed all over the place and, and unable to string passes together. But, you know, it, it felt like that goal, going down the goal, really galvanized them. Morales is able to do what he does. Um, and then just as the game is sort of wrapping up and we're thinking like, okay, here we go. We're going to add a time again, probably penalties. <laughs> Magno's able to just kill things off. Um, 
And I think that's probably for the best because the union were gassed. I mean, there was players literally limping around the pitch that you could tell Jim Curtin had just told them, like, just make it to the final whistle and then we'll pull you off for the added time or whatever. It was, uh, I think, a very brave performance and something that they should be and they seem very proud of. But it was always kind of an impossible hill to climb. And my major note to this whole game is that New York really made it difficult on themselves at times, um, but Philadelphia also made it really difficult for them. That's true. I think that the the um, that's the number one because we were talking about you know who is and isn't in the lineup. The number one area where Philadelphia really suffered that uh, a team at this level would would expect to have is is with depth. Um, you know they they named a full squad, but. In some ways, it it felt like watching a university team that was only able to get like one or two people over the border for substitutes. <laughs> that, that, that in terms of like who can we actually use in these situations? Because they made three subs, but they made two of them after the goal. Yeah, and and that is, I think that if you looked at this, the the squad that they were able to put together in the, the eleven, the eleven was fine, but the and, and had players largely with a couple of exceptions that you will have seen in other games this season. Um, but it was the subs bench where it's like, yep, we have nothing going on here. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> we can bring in Jones, Steve Jones, apparently uh, from New Hampshire, maybe. <laughs> like, <laughs> bueno. Yeah. Hey, Bueno. I, this is one thing where I was very happy is that as I'm sure folks can appreciate when you're trying to cover the whole league, you just, there's gaps in your knowledge in certain teams. So you don't always know the depth. So from that standpoint, I was really excited to see Philadelphia Union's depth chart because I was like, well, now I'm going to get to know some of their younger players and, and all of that. And I thought Bueno was one of the, one of the, the better players on the pitch for Philadelphia. So I mean, overall, it was a completely mismatched game. The union made no excuses about it, and I thought they fought really yeah. hard. But yeah, and I, th- I like for many points throughout this game, we almost believed it was an equal match, um, and that was fi- that's credit to the union. City go through, and I think ultimately deservedly so. Yes, in another universe and timeline, and on Andre Blake, uh, Philadelphia's going through. It's heartbreaking for them. I think that they all took it in good stride and just said, like, fuck it, let's still go for it. And I think is they're all going to be very excited by that performance because to come so close against such a good side with so many subs, that shows you you're doing a lot of things right. I mean, <laughs> if I feel like if anyone <laughs> has notes for you after this season, be like, so, Jim, how, how come you lost? Let me be like, well, <laughs> let me tell you a story. Um, unfortunate, but I think ultimately, in terms of the players on the pitch, the fair result. So City will be going through. Certainly, certainly, like better circumstances, or or at least like more under like like different circumstances emotionally than than when Union went out last year totally. in the first round after being the 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 supporter shield winners. The other credit that I would give in terms of like making that game feel like a game is the fans. I don't know if that turns out the same mm. way if it's an away game, and I think that the um, 
you know, this is something that they 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 cited on the broadcast to try and make it feel interesting. But I do think it's true that that like the everyone is so hungry for a for a bite of something that 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 could potentially put Philadelphia forward that it didn't really matter who they put in, they were going to really lean in behind them a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw a number of mentions of like. That trust Philadelphia fans to be like the, all all the odds are against them. They're still going to turn up and be convinced that they're going to win the thing. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought that yeah that atmosphere especially was great. It was also good to see you know the Union fans get behind these these players and and support the team that was out there. Um, yeah. So um, we now are <laughs> left the the this this. This strange uh, year in which, um, you know, there was all kinds of change, all kinds of change in the uh, the league, uh, all kinds of coaches uh, being fired, Sebastian Blanco missing, you know, big chunks of the year, uh, has left us with two teams, Portland and New York City. Yeah. Um, how are you? Uh, how are you feeling about this? We're going to uh, much has been made of the fact that we're going to Providence Park mm-hmm. for the first time, uh, the, the site of finals such as the NWSL final um, has never hosted an MLS Cup, and uh, and and now the Isn't that, that atmosphere. Wild? Were you not surprised by that? Like, I, I wonder. If... I was like, yeah, that seems true, but also weird. I think that part of it is because, I mean, like, so much in the early history, like, you know, the early history of the Portland Timbers MLS, because we're, you know, they haven't been here. None of us have been here that long. Mm-hmm. Um, has been skewed by that um, 2015 run mm. where they won away, uh, where they where they made that, like, squeaked into the playoffs, make it all the way to the end and win run. Where it's like somebody was like, Oh, the Portland Timbers have like a way better away record in the playoffs. That's just because they ran won five games in the playoffs in one year. That'll do that. Yeah. Um and and you know, of course they made it against, you know, Atlanta. They they have made great use of the the playoff system in terms of being able to um you know, advance through knockout rounds. And certainly if you think about the number of players in Portland, uh, in Portland's arsenal that are thought of as people who only perform in the playoffs, <laughs> that's not that surprising. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, uh, but, but there, but there have it, you know, I wonder if, if one of the things that makes it surprising is, is the fact that we've seen NWSL finals. So we've, it's not that Providence Park is not thought of as a championship location. Um, True. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but I would say in MLS history, it's like the the it would be the the Sporting Kansas City shootout that would be thought of as is like the most iconic like playoff moment in Providence Park. Would you say? Yeah. 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 For sure. So we've got these two teams. I mean. Obviously, we'll get to like a what's your prediction. But my question to to get us there is, what do you feel is going to be the difference maker for each team? Is is that a person? Is that a particular 
tactic or setup, what, like if either team is going to win it, what is each team going to need to win it, I guess? I think um, the for Portland's end, I think it will be those... Uh, those players that I mentioned that from time to time will, you know, pop up and have a, um, will pop up and have like a, a, a world beating game despite being fringe players throughout the regular season. Um, this is, you know, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about Diego Valeri and yeah. his availability. And of mm-hmm. course, um, the continuing availability of Sebastian Blanco is is a minute-by-minute minute affair. Um, so that's what they're going to need. They're going to need, you know, Dairon Aspria is coming back after being suspended mm-hmm. against RSL. So, you know, I think that the... Who are the threats in New York City is are well-established. Yeah. You know, um... Castellanos is coming back after yeah. his suspension. It's kind of it. funny. Yeah. It's it's kind of funny to say both of those in the same breath. You know, the the, the MLS the MLS Golden Boot winner is coming back, and the guy who you know probably scored only a handful of goals in the regular season, but only ever does epic things in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's coming back. So it's basically you know you know basically even. To some degree, yeah. I mean, they're such different teams, but I think that they do play at a similar level of intensity and ambition. So I'm I'm curious to see how that kind of shakes out. Obviously, they're not What's your... teams that we see play each other very often. So That's true. it's also weird from that standpoint. Who's your difference maker? I mean, for City... It's got to be Castellanos, right? Like, he's got to come back. He's got to score a goal. Um, I think that's what City is going to need to win the game. I'm not saying they don't have other ways of winning it. I just think that that's, that's got to be the way. It's a final in Portland. It's going to be loud. The, the crowd is going to be behind Portland. Portland is feeling it. Um, I think that they're, they're very much ready for the challenge. Um... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think similarly for Portland, my I I guess my my instinct is to say Valeri or Blanco. I mean, how many minutes will either go? What version of them will we get? What version of them can we really expect at this point? Um, do you? Uh, but do given you... what the team has been able to do as a team, I'm I'm less concerned about that. I I think you know Nia's Goda's had some really good looks at goal. We saw you know they won the the conference final through games through Moreno, uh, goals through Moreno and um, Mora, like guys that score, but they don't score all the time. So I, I think that the difference makers on Portland are maybe more broad, but yeah, I, I hate to be that cliche, but I think it's, it's the big players in the big games and the big moments. Who's the big players and the big games and the big moments. Um, do you, what do you, what do you think about, about the, amount of Diego Valeri that they're getting. Is this going to be something that um that works for them? It seems like it seems like people are more or less like prepared. Uh I don't know if it's an injury thing or what, but people are more or less prepared that, that this will probably be it. Um 
for Diego. Uh, do you think that this will... Um, do you think that they're in a position where I, I think of that player as so central to Portland and I think of, you know, Blanco as so central to Portland that the idea of of having him around but only on the fridges or only on the edges or only as a sub, it's like, it, it, it's it's strange to think of the amount of adjustment you would have to do, you know, if you bring on Diego Valeri in a cup final. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I see. I it seems to be he's good for about thirty to forty minutes in a game. Um, I don't know if he'll get that in this one. Um, I I feel like Savarese has shown that this season, especially he he wants Valeria coming off the bench as opposed to starting things. Mm. Um, Blanco, we'll see. I mean, I'm surprised he's even on the bench, so I hesitate to say what he can or can't do or will or won't do because he he seems to defy uh, reality and age and everything else. So obviously I hope he's available. Um, How much of him we get? Yeah, I don't know. Who can say what what a good shot of cortisone won't do for someone? Yeah, apparently. Um... I'm trying to see here. So you, Tata Castellanos, um, was in, uh, is is in the final. The last time the Golden Boot winner was in the MLS Cup final was in 2018 when Joseph Martinez was in it with uh, Atlanta and he won Cup MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking back. It's been a long time before that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think you're looking at not one. I would have to even look. I'd have to even. Uh, it's It's been a very, very long time since those, for whatever reason, that that, that, that trophy has been, uh, has not been a part of the, uh, of, of the proceedings. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, what, 2005 was Jeff Cunningham in Dallas. Uh,. I think that is legitimately from the time that they have been awarding it. I don't think that there was ever. Uh, Taylor Twelman. Hmm. It was, it's, so it's, yeah, it's. Uh, a minute. <laughs> it was, the, it's only the third winner of that trophy. Obviously there were other scoring champions, but the, but since they started handing out the golden boot, um, it's only the third time I could go. I could keep looking, but I don't know if uh, I don't know what I'm what I'm going to find or not find. Uh, suffice to say, and Twelman again, Twelman twice, and Joseph appear to be some of the main uh, yeah, some yeah. of the main people. So so that 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 goes back a long time that the Golden Boot winner has not um, has has been has rarely participated in the top game. Yeah. Um, you you said you. You basically need him to be able. He, you know, his team needs him to be able to score in this. I, I think so. I, I mean, and this really does not take anything away from New York. I, I'm, I know I, I've had criticisms against them uh, in the Philadelphia game, but make no mistake, I, I really felt like when City made the playoffs that there was a very good chance they were going to be in the final. Maybe they weren't my first pick, but I'm not surprised that they're here. 
Um, and I think that they're going to be a really, really challenging team. And I'm very ready to be wrong because what does any prediction this season mean? <laughs> but, like, if I'm asking the question, is City the better team? Probably. Are they going to win, though, in Portland? I don't think so. I think that Portland can do this one. But That's the... But I think what, again, I know it seems obvious, I think it's going to take an exceptional performance from both teams. Like, whoever, how can I say this without just <laughs> saying more cliches? I, I think City has much more to do in this one, and not just from the, the uh, be it being an away game for them. I, I think that... City is a team that at times falls into that trap of needing everything to work perfectly to execute a win. Now, they've done that many, many times, and, and I think that they can do it. But their vulnerabilities specifically are things that I think Portland can prey on. And we've seen New York get caught on the break. We've seen City struggle when they're not in control of a game. Um... And we've seen them come back and, and win those situations as well. Like, defensively, Philadelphia is probably a little more sure in the back than Portland. But I don't know. I just, I feel like this is this is one that Portland can continue to do the things they're doing and get the job done. How, how do you feel about it, though? Um, I am, I agree with you that I think that, like, on, on paper, or at least in, in performance, in terms of their level of, of you know consistency it's like city is the most settled and the most sort of like you know good from the origin point of zero you know like mm -hmm. like if they're playing they they can definitely play below their level and sometimes they can play above their level but their level whatever it is is i think higher than what portland is at a at a at a resting speed because Portland has shown yep. um, some amount of inconsistency, they can they can really play up to an occasion. They can sometimes look lost. Um, so I think that what it I feel like in a sense it does a disservice sometimes in some extent to, to how good New York City have been this season to think that like. You know, Portland are the team that needs to respond to them in a sense, in terms of like they need to you you know be fueled by their home home teams or their home home support. They need to get the best possible performance out of the you know the the, the players that they have on hand. Whereas after a sense, you're right that it will take a, an excellent performance out of New York City, but they just need everything to work. Yeah. Yep. No, I I think that that's fair. And I think you're right. I, I think that it's probably going to work, but I think it's going to be uh, a similar thing where, like, if Portland can come out of the gates and get that early goal and put City on the back foot, that's going to make it a real hard game for City. At the same time, I'm sure that they're feeling like... <laughs> everybody's going to say this, that, like... Portland has the home field advantage. They've made it this far. They've got nothing to lose. They've got Tatty back. So there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to make a run for it. I think it's also 
part of it is it's just such uncharted territory because these are not two teams that have faced each other often. No. Do you know when they did face? They uh, they met in the second round of the MLS's back tournament. That's right. Or they in the or, or I don't know if the second round exactly, but they met Portland one three one. So. Mm-hmm. If no, you need you know that, who scored you... on that day? Who scored on that day? Sebastian Blanco and Diego, Diego Valeri. <laughs> <laughs> That's who they'll need. I will say it was a very need. different city team even last year as well, but. That that's I I feel like that's about as much as I can kind of say about the final. I I feel like maybe it leans towards Portland, and you know if if City come in and quote unquote shock everybody and score a bunch of goals, I I don't think I'm going to be sitting there going, "What happened?" Um, I have two questions. Okay. One, we just got to say it. What's the what's the score? Oh God. Okay, I could. T- I, three, I, two, I have three, a, two, Portland. Three, two, Portland. Okay, got it. Um, it I'm gonna. Two. I'm gonna say. Uh, I don't want to. I'm. I. I. I feel more strongly for the for 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 my friends and in, in Cascadian rival uh, folks in, in Portland. I don't want to say that it's not, but since you've called Portland. Now I'm gonna say I'm gonna say uh, Portland two one on penalties. Two one, Portland wins on PKs. All right, folks, there we go. I actually wrote it down this time, so we'll, we'll come back to it. That's aspirational. I'm not gonna say it's not. Um, yeah, but I I think I think we're being very level headed and fair in this that we're like I'm so ready to be wrong. I feel like these are reasonable <laughs> predictions. I don't think anyone can be like, we're, we're totally out to lunch here. And also, yeah, my body is just ready to be completely rejected by MLS and it be like 5-0 New York. Like, that would be a very MLS final. Okay, so here's my second question. Yeah. Now we have to make an unreasonable prediction. <laughs> what is the wildest... Bastard. I want you to predict, like... like like, because this is what, it's MLS after dark. This will probably be at a normal time. But this is what always happens in Portland, because Portland plays late on the schedule and everyone, when you're experiencing it here on the East Coast. So, so and, and, and wild things always happen in the playoffs. So, if you have to pick one um, out-of-left-field event to take place in the course of, the, of this final... What is the what is the one unpredictable thing you would predict? I thought I knew what it was, and then as you drew out that question, I thought of a better one. <laughs> well, give it to me. Give it to me. Tati gets sent off again. <laughs> I was going to say that! <laughs> right? Right? Come on. It's, it writes itself. It's perfect. I'm not saying I want it to happen. I'm not saying it should happen. I'm just saying it would be kind of perfect. To after everything to get here, and after all the uh, everything New York had to do against Philadelphia without him, it just would be pretty funny, right? <laughs> As you know, I have I have predicted penalties. Mm-hmm. I can't I can't pick the one you picked now because obviously it's not unpredictable. <laughs> but yeah. I will predict that those penalties will go further than 11 rounds. Wow. 
I don't even think that's un, an unreasonable <laughs> prediction. Um, or or is eleven? I, I'm I'm predicting in in an outrageous number. What's yeah. what's outrageous? Would you say that's eleven? Would you say that that a notable amount would be like above? Oh, I've not... watched enough Concacaf this season to say it's got to go at least three rounds before I think it's egregious. <laughs> two 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 rounds of penalties is nothing. Concacaf is like <laughs> once we're into the, the four, five, and six range. Now I'm taking notice, but <laughs> who can say? I mean, part of me w- would say like New York just comes in and storms the place and wins five nil, but I I just. I don't know that that's actually within the realm of possibility. This seems less likely. Think going to like extra extra PKs feels very possible to me in this one. Yeah, it feels that that is uh, that that would fuel so much of the story for me. Totally. Um, we do, however, have an actual final that's already that's right that we get to talk about. That's we right. don't have you... to wait for everything. We can satisfy the cravings for a final. And talk about uh, this, I don't even know what to call it, but this final um, against uh, Forge and Pacific FC. The Canadian Premier League has reached its, its third final. Um, in, the, in the first Canadian Premier League final, um, Cavalry FC and Forge FC faced off. They had, you know, uh, Cavs had, had been one of the dominant teams and Forge had been one of the dominant teams throughout the, the season, but Cavalry had won both the spring and fall versions of their Apertura Clausura format um, before heading to a single game Forge, which Forge won and then took the, the, the league trophy. The second Canadian Premier League final came um, after a single tournament similar to the NWSL Challenge Cup or the the uh, MLS's back tournament, the 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 Island Games, uh, which Halifax was uh, the opponent for Forge when when uh, Forge was able to knock them out mm-hmm. with a uh, unfortunate error from the goalkeeper. Um, this was, I think, a season in which Pacific laid Wasn't down that goalkeeper Marco Carducci. No, Carducci plays for Pacific. That would have been um, Christian Oxner, unfortunately, oh. who's tremendous. Um, who's tremendous in every way, except uh, unfortunately had a, had a tough time at that moment. Um, but that one was a little bit more, I'm not going to say a crapshoot, because Halifax is great, but um, but that one came at the end of a tournament when really it was whoever brought them their, their best selves to the tournament. Um, this was another instance, I think, of... of Pacific had been really dominant in the league all year uh, and had had those amazing results in the Canadian Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, Forge was able to uh, have a strong run at the end and I believe was uh, was the top, I think? Was that is that is that correct? Was the... Yeah, Forge finished at the top of the standings um, and Pacific was in uh, third. But I want to say that, you know, there were long parts of the the season in which Pacific felt like one of the one of the strongest, one of the most interesting, you know, stories going. And I think that if you look at a team and you look at all the scoring and you you know, we all the things we just did for MLS Cup and talking about well what's gonna happen? This was not necessarily like the <laughs> most dramatic way of that manifesting which is Pacific went in, scored one goal in the second half and held on for the 
to collect the trophy. But it was a great, you know, success for, for the team from Vancouver Island. Um, mm-hmm. An amazing, you know, triumph for them and the players and the supporters and the work of the coach, Pamaduka, um, in terms of bringing them, becoming, you know, the second ever team to win a, a, a trophy and, and, and challenging in some respects the the Southern Ontario hegemony. Yeah. In the, uh, in, in the Canadian Premier League. Absolutely. You love to see it. Um, having things mixed up a, a little bit in this one. Um, I, you know, and admittedly, I haven't been following CanPL a lot this season, which is mostly just, there's just too much going on. <laughs> My <laughs> yeah. brain is slow. I would love to. I very much want to support it. It's just that there's there's a lot of soccer happening, and when you cover already an entire league, it's a lot to, to add a whole other league. Um, but I've been trying to follow Pacific FC a little bit because, of course, they're close to where we are. Um, it's my hometown, and I, I love what they're doing there. I love Pamudaka. I love Marco Bustos. I love a lot about this side. And... It's maybe a bit of a, I, I don't want to say a lucky win, but I think it is certainly an unexpected one, given that, you know, Pacific FC really didn't have much in this game. Um, I, I thought that they had oper- some they had some early shots and early chances. Um, I, I think they were actually lucky that the shooting wasn't better from Forge, because there were a number of chances where it was really a bit of a scramble from Pacific FC. I will say that in terms of scrambling back to defend, they're great at it. It <laughs> always seems to be a bit of a scramble to get back, and I think that's where some of their discipline issues come from as well. Um, but this 58th-minute goal that is just this really, really well-worked corner. It's actually a free kick. Or a free, yeah, sorry, free kick, right. Dos Santos sends the free kick into uh, Hajabarpur, um, and it's just, you know... <laughs> If it's right if it's a corner run. or if it's a it's a it's a the near post run the set piece miss of it all very well executed yeah and I mean I sometimes feel like a little bit cheated out of getting a great final when it's just one set piece goal that that's the difference maker here but it it's just so well executed and so difficult to pull off that I I think it really shows that Pacific FC was willing to try some different approaches in this game. And, and Ka actually talked about it after the fact to say, you know, like we've been, we've been in games and he uses a boxing metaphor, but he's like, you know, we're just taking, you know, we're hitting body shot after body shot. And I'm not sure exactly what that means in soccer terms, but he was sort of like, so I just thought we'd try something different. <laughs> and, and like, cause he was mentioning, like, I think going at games directly and, and, and trying sort of the traditional routes to win a game and, and not always getting results and then trying to find different ways that utilize the skills that you do have to kind of make it happen and negative minimize the negatives maximize the positives yeah absolutely and the way that he's been able to get buy-in from players has been fantastic and it's obvious on the pitch and i think that it shows that you know we like to talk about teams with heart and grit and all of that stuff um but that's not always in, that's not enough to win you a final as we've seen with RSL <laughs> uh heart can and and teamwork can get you really really far and it can win you a final but you also need 
a, a cohesiveness to all of that. It can't just be hoping that the right combinations of 11 players out there are going to do the right things. And, and it really feels like there's an understanding between the players of what needs to happen. And it's something that's actually quite rare to see in football, period, let alone with such a young team, with such a, a relatively young and inexperienced coach. And that's not to take anything away from Pamutaka's amazing experience that he does have, but he is a new coach. Like, Yeah. And, and, and what a great statement from a, a newer coach to to have such a, a commanding season and, and tactically such a great performance. I, I think that, um, you know, he's, he's answered a lot of questions that people have had. And I don't think this, this win is, is lucky by any stretch. I think that there's moments in the game where Pacific FC did get lucky that Forge's shooting wasn't better, but you know, it's always up to the, the team on the pitch to actually win it. And with such a perfectly executed free kick, I'm kind of like, well, yeah. The it's always up to. There haven't been there. There literally hasn't been any other. I wouldn't say even you know basement to top because the Pacific were never down that low. But it's like you know they Pacific were in the first season um, fifth out of seven. They lost five games. There haven't been. There haven't been that many games in Canadian Premier League history, but uh, but it's like from from a team that I think was really not really thought of in 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 that top mix at all. Mm-hmm. Um, to have it's it is literally the first uh, turnaround story like that that this league has in its young history. Yeah, and and hopefully not the last. Um, as we see the league expand and and the league get more competitive, and we see better players come in as well, and and better players develop through it. I think it it's it's really exciting, and it, it's just so great that um, you know we're here discussing the fact that you know for a minute there it kind of looked like well we were going to have an established dominance in CanPL and it maybe wouldn't quite be as competitive as we hoped at first, and here we go. It's kind of like game on. No, it's a league that other teams can win too. Yes. Um, and there have been some, some you know, complaints from uh, people watching on One Soccer a little bit uh, about the, um, on the West Coast, about a certain amount of um, whether or not there's bias or bias in the in the, in the league's Promotion. Complete inability to pronounce Pacific or know, <laughs> or know where Vancouver Island is. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's been some there's been some issues I think that like stem from you know I saw it people you know there were references there were definitely things in the post game show where people were you know it's like did Pacific really deserve to win here and then all the people in the panel said yes uh, yeah. Yeah, they won the game. And yes. then it sort of felt like when it came back to the person leading the panel, and it, it's just there was still this lamenting tone, a lot of, you know, kind of excuses for Forge about, you know, they did play on Wednesday in the CONCACAF League when they went out there. It's like, but the... the I can't necessarily... There's there's so many things to improve in Canadian soccer that it's hard to, to look into one, but it's just... The quality of the broadcast there 
has mm. been I don't want to be too mean but it's like when you're looking at like you know why does the what what is this what does this reflect it reflects the fact that like some of the key broadcast teams that one soccer puts together are like from radio local radio shows in Ontario <laughs> yeah you know the people yeah. they were able to find yeah and I mean like I I think where I feel slightly better about being a little meaner, not that I want to say anything against KenPL, but it's really more about one soccer, um, is just that, like, we don't do much research for this show. <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to give away too many spoilers about how we uh, cook things back here. But, like, I feel like if we're talking... I mean, and obviously we make lots of mistakes as well, but I feel like if we're talking about something we're not familiar with, we do try to, like, make an honest effort to look up what it is, and especially if it might be hard to pronounce doing that. But, like, I, I don't know. It it's Does it make or break the experience for me? No, but it, it, it's... I, I just don't think it's a great look, especially when you're trying to get more people into your product, and especially when you have now the the champion team that a bunch of your broadcasters still don't really understand where it is i want to give credit where credit's due um i thought that the actual commentator on the game adam jenkins did a good job and i thought yeah. his goal call was really good yeah yeah absolutely i agree they're they're doing good things over there um just notes on some things they could do better <laughs> the uh, we have a couple of you know there's there's shifts that are all happening all the time. Uh, or do we want in 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 the league system? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had this uh, we had this announcement. We had previously heard of you know a youth league called MLS Next. They're now going to try and and MLS is now trying to bring together a MLS Next Pro, which will be sort of like a a second division slash reserves league. Um, featuring 20 MLS teams and for some reason Rochester FC which is if you have no idea what Rochester FC is it's because the Rochester Rhinos did this terrible branding that now you have no idea who they were you <laughs> there's this awful generic branding uh, affected by the team owned by in part by Jamie Bivardi will be taking place will be taking part in the second division um some leagues are doing it. Some leagues, some teams are doing it. Some teams aren't. Um, certainly, at this point, uh, Montreal seems more interested in PSLQ. Yeah, I think there's what they were saying. They were they were talking about doing. Um, eh, I think that trying to upend the trying to replace the structure of second division soccer in, in in the US and Canada is is a mistake i think that that um this will be something that i think especially because the design looks terrible if you're a supporter of a second division club in the states you're going to feel um you're going to get your hackles up about it and i think rightly so because i think that they're going to want to try and put as much marketing into it as they can um, that that but, was kind of my question is like I mean and I get that USL is a dumpster fire and that whole quote unquote soccer pyramid is a bit more of a pentagon anyway like <laughs> I don't understand it don't claim that anyone does really but like 
why don't they work together to create a thing? Like, it, it would feel like if anybody could jump in and, like, rescue USL and just give it some structure and format, it would be MLS. I can't say I really blame them for not wanting to. This but it is... does just sort of mean it's like, so what's what what's the plan here then? What's the whole, like, what is the soccer pyramid then? And, you know, if we're talking about paths for development you've just created a sort of separate path. I don't know that you've created a clearer one necessarily because to me that would seem to hint at that you're going to favor players from MLS Next Pro over USL or CanPL, but I don't think that's really an approach team teams or the league are doing. So I don't know. The the um unless they move teams to other markets and I don't know that they've said they're going to do that. Um, Vancouver's MLS Next Pro team is going to be in Metro Vancouver. It's not going to be somewhere else. Uh, like, like you know, they do in, in hockey or whatever. Um, I think that reserve teams have had a challenge finding a foothold in drawing an audience. And, yeah. and I, I think that the, the wonderful fabric of lower division football in the U.S. and Canada is based on giving people a team to call their own. And totally. um, that doesn't mean that, you know, that that can't be in the same city as a as a MLS market. But a second division that's just MLS or almost all MLS second division teams is just not going to have the same zest to it. No, and um, it just, it already kind of smacks it when you look at the teams. It's like, okay, so this smacks of just, like, we're going to have Galaxy 2 again and all of that. And it, it just, call me old-fashioned, I just find it really hard to get excited about a team that has two as part of its official name. <laughs> I think that the um, the question that you ask about, like, why don't they work together, it, it drifts into the thorny and... Uh, weirdly contentious world in the United States of people who want ProRel to happen and people who are right. against it or whatever. Right, right, um, right, right, of course. The biggest the biggest thing, I think, the the regardless of where you stand on that topic, I think it's pretty clear that MLS is the most interested in working in a closed system. Yes. Um, and, and whether or not that eventually results in, like, a full-on second division where... where Actual or teams that are currently in MLS move back and forth between a second division or apply to move back and forth between a second division. Who knows? But they would much rather, I think, be dealing with you know MLS Next or MLS Pro than than having to to hook into to a greater network of leagues. Well, and I would suspect that they'll continue on the model of what they've been doing, which is they'll tie it to Liga MX and they'll have and tie it to like an all-star thing. So they'll look at certain competitions to really be the backbone of what's bringing in viewers rather than we're expecting, you know, we're going to we're going to have a bunch of people on TV tuning into Galaxy versus TFC2, you know, midweek on a Thursday kind of thing. That that would seem to me what the the approach would be, rather than sink a bunch of money into something trying to generate uh, interest. You're going to do it around sort of key events that really highlight the best of what this league might have to offer. I would guess that, that makes sense. 
Um, another league announcement uh, has been the strange, you know, as as people have called for a, a national league in Canada, um, the WPSL, which is an amateur league that's ran for about 20 seasons in the U.S., and it has some Canadian teams in it, um, kind of, I'm trying to wrap my head around where it would have sat equal to the W League, which was the USL, mm-hmm. you know, semi-pro division. Uh, it's more or less, you know, like a, like a, you know, a second or third division, I guess, underneath uh, NWSL, um, has announced that it is answering the call for a league in Canada. They say with with teams in uh, Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, and Toronto, and more. They and more. As and more. I'm excited because I think that it can't be understated the lack of infrastructure that exists in terms of like senior teams, partially because of fluctuations involving the W League. Um, and, you know, teams being there one year, sometimes... Sometimes there's a Whitecaps team and sometimes there's not, and sometimes there's an Ottawa Fury team and then sometimes the Ottawa Fury ceases to exist. Like, like you know, the 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 it's been in terms of having any teams at all, it's been very inconsistent. So I think a league would be good. I think I agree with Stephanie Labe on Twitter, who where it's like this is not the league that you need. You know, Labe's point was. Mm-hmm. The, no, they had clips of Canadian women's national team players, and Labe said, "Imagine asking anyone in that league to come back in that video to come back and play in this league." Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, she suggested it's muddying the waters a little bit, and I understand the concern about that. I, I am trying to be cautiously optimistic, but this is not the thing that we need to be using the momentum. This is something that would be good to accomplish, and it'd be great if it happens. But um, the momentum needs to go further than what this league has to offer. Yeah, and I don't want to be down on people putting their efforts into new things either. And as you said, like be cautiously optimistic that this could be a a cool thing. But I I think similar concerns that like in a perfect world, yes, all of these things would have equal support and they could exist. Um, however, that's not really the climate we exist in. And, and I guess just my hope is often that people are able to work together to achieve a greater thing. And it just seems like in American and Canadian sports in particular, it's always like that just falls into an empty hallway and then everybody goes and does their own separate thing. And each one might exist for five or six years or maybe ten. But they the longevity of these things seems to not be great when they're isolated things and I, I think that's the angle I come from too is just not wanting to see something start up and be really cool but not be able to actually be sustained and yeah. then us all go oh what if everybody had worked together to create a thing yeah I think a, a system wide look at it needs can include this but it, it needs to be what you're thinking of when you're trying to make change in this way um, unless you have any other news, the final thing that I would look at uh, is that on uh, Tuesday, uh, Carlos Hill was named MVP. That's the right. The Landon Donovan Award winner. 
Congratulations to Carlos Hill. Um, there was a little bit of a to-do on Twitter about it, and I, I like that Andrew Wiebe just, like, put up Carl Hill's stats against everybody else's in the league, and you're just, it's like, it's not even close. Uh, best coach of the year, yeah, maybe you want to wait till the final's over. MVP, like, regardless of what Sebastian Blanco does or Tati Castellanos does in that final it is not going to eclipse the achievements of that man this season. I'm very okay with him being given MVP. Um, I, I think sometimes people just don't like awards going to a player on a team that's no longer in the playoffs. I mean, that's the that's the thing that we were just talking about with the Golden Boot winner. MLS is weird. <laughs> MLS is weird. I think in the end, I, I would rather honor the performance that is like the higher... To me, like, the more goals, more assists, passing accuracy, like, to me, that should matter. Especially when it's so far and away. Like, awards are stupid to begin with. But if you're going to pick someone and it's just like, well, he's the best by every possible measure several times over, then what are we discussing here? I'm fine with it because, honestly, they have the MLS Cup MVP award for that. Like, yeah, I think yeah, that... exactly. Casting the ballots... I don't know exactly when the cutoff is, but I assume that the 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 standard for most leagues is that you cast the ballots um, the year. Uh, the standard for most leagues is that you cast the ballots like at the end of the regular season and before the playoffs. Yeah, um, that I think really helps you avoid recency bias. If 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 yeah. there was some if there were voting after the fact that it would be impossible for the person that didn't have a good performance. You would and just also, be out of the running. you can't tell me if Sebastian Blanco is lifting MLS Cup next weekend, he's going to be like, man, I really I thought I was going to be the MVP. He's not going to care. <laughs> he's not going to care, nor is Castellanos. So, like, it's it's all good. Carl's heel, my friend, well-deserved. Uh, I think <laughs> no arguments here. Agree with that. The, nice. uh the 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 same thing that I was talking about the golden boot. I'm not going to go all the way back, but um, the last MV, the last MVP to be an MLS Cup was Joseph, who was in was MLS Cup MVP, and the last one before that was Robbie Keane, who was in for LA Galaxy in 2014. So, right. not yeah. a, it, it the, these things just don't always co-locate. I also feel like if you're going to do a playoff system where you kind of negate the table at a certain point. I mean, you don't negate it completely, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Then I think you need to have a way to, in some way, mark the efforts of players and teams that, regardless of where they ended up in or out of the playoffs, you're looking at, again, like, most goals scored in a regular season, um, and you're looking at best performances over a, a season. Um yeah, I get it. it. It doesn't line up perfectly, but, like, it's MLS. <laughs> it, never, it never does. Awards are kind of arbitrary anyway, and I feel like if you're going to give them out, then you should just be looking at something that's fairly objective. Like, well, how many times did you score and assist and a number of other things? So much more than everyone else. Congratulations. Here's a big cup. That that's, seems that's pretty... Fine if you're going to do it, like, <laughs> you got to slice it a certain way. That feels as fair as you're going to get. That works world. for me. That works for me. Oh, dear. Well, 
Until next time, if you're in the big game, ah, just don't go oh, to that final. Wait. First, where can we find you online? Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Sorry. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. Where can we the find people, you? The people need to see your tweets and the my tweets. To- we, we are going to be giving out so many. We're going we're gonna to be out there on Saturday, MLS Cup Final, pounding the virtual pavement. Absolutely. With takes. With takes. So that um, you can find me online at on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Beautiful. And you can find this podcast at thatsomls.com, Apple Podcasts, the other podcast places. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And um, we should also tell people we do do shows in the postseason, but we go on a very much a chill soccer uh, journey during that time. But we do have regular shows, so stick with us. Thank you as well for everybody for taking uh, this chill soccer journey with us. Excited to go, excited to watch the final with you guys. Yeah, and like maybe that's a, a good point to end on is like, I'm just <laughs> excited for the final. I could give a shit who wins or who's in it, to be honest. <laughs> like, I'm so ready for this time of year to just, like, you know, put on the show, watch a big final, get into the, the crowd and the antics and whatever else. I'm, 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 in, I'm very invested in it happening. I'm not very invested in what happens or what the outcome is. <laughs> Should be a good one. Until we talk to you next. If you are MLS Golden Boot winner, Tata Castellanos, and you've already been sent off in the playoffs, <laughs> don't get sent off. <laughs>